Good morning, church. And good morning, church. The whole church, whether you're here virtually or in person, it is good to see you this morning. I want to encourage you, if you haven't started in on the 90 days and you're still thinking about it, you would really appreciate the journey. It is a little bit like drinking from a fire hose, but last night's Zoom discussion, we had a a good group last night, and uh, there was at least two comments that were just thrilled with the unique experience that reading the Bible through at a more rapid pace brings. We just finished Exodus last night, so we're starting in Leviticus. One of the great things about starting in Leviticus is that Deuteronomy is, which is at the end of the Pentateuch, is almost a recapitulation of Exodus. And so you may have missed Exodus, but when you get to Deuteronomy, you'll get to hear Moses retelling of much of the Exodus story. Numbers has some duplication of what's in Exodus as well. The only book you're kind of missing is Genesis. But you can always tack those two books onto the end, make that your 90th week of reading. And um, I've also created some summary podcasts and videos. The videos are on YouTube. The podcasts are on your favorite podcast app, probably. And they're about 12 to maybe 15-minute summaries of each day's reading. So if you really want to just get the summary view, you can listen to those and then be up to speed to start in reading with Leviticus today. So I just encourage you, it's a really profound experience and um, very insightful. So consider it. If you want to be on the email list, there's an email that goes out on Sunday mornings and then a video that comes out Wednesdays and then a Zoom discussion on Fridays. If you want to be part of any of that, just let me know and I'll add you to our distribution list. God, thank you that we're here today gathered for worship and learning Be present with us, whether we're in person or sitting in virtually. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. A heart like his today is a bit of a Bible study, and I begin with a couple of passages from this week's reading in the 90 days from the book of Exodus. You all are familiar with Exodus chapter 20, right? What is in Exodus chapter 20? The Ten Commandments, that's right. As good Bible students, you know that is Exodus chapter 20. Well, in Exodus chapter 21, 22, and I think into 23, there is, and beginning at the end of chapter 20, there are several different kinds of laws. The first ones at the end of chapter 20 deal with worship, like how to build an altar. And then going into 21, 22, and I think into 23, there's laws related to... um, how to treat your slaves, 21. Uh, what happens if, if your ox gores somebody? What do you do about that? So there are these actions or violations, you might say, and then corresponding consequences. What is the, the legal process or the legal response if you do such and such? Well, as part of this list of regulations and legal responses, there are these two fascinating guidelines that have a much different consequence. And I want you to follow with me as we get into today's topic. Exodus 22. 
you shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If you afflict them in any way and they cry at all to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will become hot and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives shall be widows and your children fatherless. Well, that's a pretty dramatic response. So this is in the context. Again, these are laws. Build your altar this way. If your slave does such and such or such and such happens to your slave, then do this. If, someone, if somebody murders somebody, then do this. If It's this list of, if you do this, respond this way. But when God comes to the mistreatment of the fatherless and the widows, he says, I'm gonna show up. Then there's this one. Same list and verse 25. If you lend money to any of my people who are poor among you, you shall not be like a money lender to him. You shall not charge him interest. If you ever take your neighbor's garment as a pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. For that is his only covering. It is his garment. For his skin, what will he sleep in? And it will be that when he cries to me, I will hear, for I am gracious. Fascinating. Again, remember, we're in a list that altar building, slave treatment, what happens if, so, if, if there's a murder, etc. And there are legal responses to these actions. But when it comes to the mistreatment of the fatherless, and the poor, God says, I'm going to step in. When it comes to the mistreatment or the extortion or even charging interest to the poor, God says, I'm going to step in. It's interesting to me that in these guidelines, in these rules and these, these, these legal guidelines, we find the heart of God showing up. Does he care about people that are murdered or get gored by an ox? Absolutely. But God shows up in a unique way for the disadvantaged, for the poor, for the fatherless and the widows. And we see this heart of God coming out where it's almost like, you know, I can let you work through these legal cases, but when it comes to the disadvantaged and the downtrodden, I'm going to step in because I'm not leaving that to just the normal course of law. Now we're going to go to the book of James. James has three passages that you might recognize as Bible students, especially as Seventh-day Adventist Bible students. Here's the first one. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. Anybody ever heard that or read that in a Bible study or a prophecy seminar? Right? We're preaching on the Sabbath. And when it comes to really driving the point home, we bring up James chapter two, verse 10. Here's another one. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. Ever heard a teaching, Adventist teaching on the law? This is one of those you might have heard in that context. One more, this one, faith by itself if it does not have works, is dead. Anybody ever heard that text in relationship to the topic of law? 
Here's the question I want to ask you this morning. The first passage we looked at was Exodus 20, sort of. And then after after Exodus 20, we find out that the heart of God especially is moved by the needs of the disadvantaged, the hurting, the poor. And then we come to this James book that we are familiar with in snippets, but we need to take a fresh look at it because maybe our assumptions and our use of the texts have overlooked the point that James intends to make. Then we're gonna wrap up with a third Bible passage that is familiar to Seventh-day Adventists and again ask the question, have we missed the point? James 1.27, we're gonna back up just before James 2. Here's what James says about religion. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Does that bring you in any sense back to Exodus? God saying the phylos and the widows, if you mistreat them, I'm gonna step in. And then here in James, true religion, undefiled religion, pure religion. When everything's boiled down, you know if you make a syrup, you boil it and boil it and boil it and you, and you get, if it's maple syrup, you get that rich, sweet, pancake-ready syrup. The syrup of religion is visiting orphans and widows in their trouble. And of course, James is not making it exclusive. It's not just that we care for only widows and only orphans. Those are exemplary of the idea that we take care of, that pure religion is the looking out for those who are disadvantaged, who don't have the advantages or the voice that I have or the resources that I have. That pure religion is found in how I, or or in the gracious treatment and care for those. Then we find ourselves in James chapter two. We're moving toward those familiar passages. Here's James 2. One and two, my brothers, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should be, excuse me, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, you sit there and, or sit here at my footstool. Have you, known, have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? If you really fulfill the royal law of according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well, but if you show partiality, you commit What's it say? James' focus in the text around law and violation is quite clear. He's talking specifically about loving others as ourselves. And more specifically, James 1.27, caring for the disadvantaged, for the forgotten ones in society who have little agency. 
when James talks about the law of liberty, he's talking about, what is it? Love your neighbor as who? Yourself. And he calls preferring those in advantaged positions, those that are easier to get along with, those that have resources, preferring them above the hurting, James calls sin. For whoever shall keep the law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. It's fascinating to me that in the text, James, in referring to keeping the whole law versus, or, or violating the whole law by, by not, let me rephrase that. In, in James' mind, we break the whole thing when we skip one little piece. He's talking specifically about our treatment of others. We've applied this to all kinds of other things, but in the context, James is talking about the sin of partiality, the neglect of the poor, the neglect of the fatherless and the widows, or worse, their mistreatment, that for James, that's the kind of sin that he calls out in the church. That's the kind of violation that James holds the people of God accountable for. Notice this one, James chapter to 15, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Do you know what the next verse is? We saw it earlier, it's this one. Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So question, what is the works James is referring to in verse 17? That's right. James 2, 15 and 16 has it there again for us. In other words, faith in action is a life of serving the least. Faith in action is a life of serving the least. Pure religion at its, at its highest refinement is serving the least, the fatherless, the widows, the hurting. As Seventh-day Adventists, this is one point we haven't done well to see in the larger biblical narrative. Seventh-day Adventists have said and do say some unique things. Those unique things, the point of them is to bring about pure religion. The last chapter we're gonna go to is quite a familiar chapter but I want us to reflect again on it, perhaps for the first time. Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah chapter 58. You might recognize these opening words. Isaiah 
Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. So Isaiah right here is writing sometime in the last part of Hezekiah's reign. Hezekiah his reigns for like 29 years. He, he has a run-in with illness and then he's healed and he gets 15 more years. So somewhere in the latter part is where Isaiah is writing. It's just a few years before the fall of Israel. Now, Isaiah, is his prophetic ministry unfolds in the kingdom of Judah, neighboring Israel, they're on the last kind of legs just a few years before the demise of Israel. And just a few years before the reign of Manasseh. So Israel, Judah in this case, is in crisis. They are themselves coming to the end of, or, or I should say, with Manasseh's reign, Judah will cross the point of no return. There's no recovery after Manasseh's long, wicked reign. Judah will not recover. So, so Isaiah is speaking to, into a time of serious significance. And so that's why the words begin, the chapter begins, this prophecy, prophetic utterance begins with this loud call to attention. What is it that Isaiah calls out? Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Now question, does that look like a pretty decent description of religious people? I mean, look at it. They seek God daily. Is that a good thing? They delight to know my way. Is that a good thing? As if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God, they ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. It's interesting. Why in the world is Isaiah and God through Isaiah calling out his people for this kind of behavior? Something interesting is to note that Isaiah 58 is in these first few verses is depicting religion and religious practice as the point of faith. Have you ever made that assumption that, that the whole point of, of church and Christian life is religious practice. Notice it here. All they were doing is religious practice. They seek God daily. They delight to know his ways. They ask for righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. They are very busy about religious stuff. We'll continue. Verse three. Why have we fasted and you don't see it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, 
in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. So first part of the verse, they ask God, why have we fasted? And you don't see that we're fasting. We're doing, God, we are very religious. We're very devoted to our religious practice. We're very thorough in our religious practice. We humble ourselves. We fast. God, we're seeking you. We want your intervention in our nation. And God calls that whose pleasure? His pleasure or their pleasure? It's quite interesting that Israel's religious fervor is termed by God not his pleasure, but their pleasure. Behold, now God's describing their fast and its purpose. You fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Have you ever been in a religious circle where it feels like the point of the conversation is to be right? I want you to get the picture here of Isaiah. The people Isaiah is writing to is people who are engaged in religious devotion. These are, these are people who are fasting. We're not talking about people who are just desecrating the, the temple and just doing whatever they want. Isaiah is writing to people who are religious practitioners. They are seeking God daily. They are devoted to faithfully practice religious activities, fasts. And yet it's fascinating that Isaiah points out and God through Isaiah points out that there is this underlying selfish motivation to their religious practice. You get the sense in their religious practice they were kind of sparring for position. Then verse five, is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Now, wouldn't you think that, how many of you think that fasting is about humbling yourself? Well, don't raise your hands. Look at it, God is asking them this question. He's having a dialogue with Israel. He wants them to process what's the point? What are you seeking? What are you after? What are you pursuing? And he asks them, have I chosen a fast where you're humbling yourself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Interesting last question in this verse. Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Now, you don't have to answer, but if, if you saw someone with a garb of mourners their hair is simple, they don't have anything in their hair, they're just plain, dark clothing. Would you consider that an 
evidence of a person's effort to be humble, especially if you know that it's a religious, that, that they're, does that look like someone who's really seeking, who's really serious, who's, who's taking a posture of humility or repentance? I'd venture to say that we think it does. We assume that, that fasting, in this case, that someone um, who's going to put ashes on their head, which was a common part of fasting, who's going to, to dress in sackcloth, like this is a posture of repentance. But God asks this probing question, are you going to call that a fast? If you were present in Isaiah's time, you would be caught by surprise. Because by all religious definitions, you were meeting the definition of a good religious fast, an appropriate expression of religious piety. You were practicing good religion. And yet God questions as to whether or not they think that's the kind of fast he's looking for. Do you see how God is calling Israel out for religious practice? The things they believe constitute religious, good religious behavior, good religious faith, God's calling them out for it. So as Seventh-day Adventists, God might ask us the question, give him our list of things we don't do on Sabbath or things we do on Sabbath, and he would say, so do you think that's Sabbath keeping? Or we might talk about our studying of the Sabbath school lesson and coming to Sabbath school class or going to prayer meeting. And God might ask us, do you think that's what I'm looking for? Or we might talk about our tithe paying or our offering. And God would ask the same question, do you think that's what I'm looking for? Isaiah is, is and God through Isaiah is challenging us to question the purpose of our religious practice. Are we religious because we think that religious practice is the point, is how we keep Sabbath, how we do our Sabbath school lesson, how we tithe an offering, how we do this religious life, is that the point? That's what God's driving at. And then the text continues. Verse six, is this is not this the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself, from your own flesh. Now, I'm standing here preaching, but I should just as well be sitting in the seat beside you because Isaiah's message is as much a dress down for me as it is for any of us. I want you to notice that question again at the end of verse five, 
Will you call this a fast? Do you think that's what I'm looking for? All your zealous religious practice, all your delighting to know my will, all of your prayers for my intervention, do you think that's what I'm looking for? And then the contrast where God says, isn't this actually what I'm looking for? In other words, the point of fasting wasn't to be a good religious practitioner. The point of fasting was the denial of oneself for the service and care for the suffering. Do you see a theme showing up this morning? Exodus chapter 20, the 10 commandments, and then starting in 21, 22, that little section where God says, listen, if you mistreat the fatherless and the widows, I'm showing up. If you, if you, Take the cloak from your neighbor, your poor neighbor, who's, that's the only thing he can sleep in. If you take that as, as, a, as kind of a guarantee that he'll pay his debt back, I have compassion. And if he prays, I'm going to show up. And then in James, pure religion is this, caring for the widows and the fatherless. James, it's a violation to practice partiality to treat well those who are good and decent and to neglect or mistreat those who are the poor. Faith with works is the kind of faith that doesn't just say, God bless you, but it steps into the mess and it seeks to provide relief to the poor and the hurting. See, the heart of God is a heart that's moved with compassion for hurting people. And you and I have his heart, not when we're religiously zealous, practicing religion, but when we're practicing righteousness. The whole point of the Adventist perspective, there are things that Seventh-day Adventists believe and convictions we have come to see in Scripture The point of those convictions is not to make us more religiously zealous, like we're the best in our understanding of such and such. It's not even to help the world understand those concepts better. The point is that those concepts lead us to a life of practicing righteousness. In other words, the religious convictions we have are important for their long-term impact, not simply as an end in themselves. The world needs to see the character of God in action and the teachings and clarity that God has brought to our attention are the means by which that is intended to be achieved. Do you get the difference? We can be religious practitioners who delight for clarity in Daniel or delight for clarity in another part of scripture who who make great efforts to make sure we get, get the diet right or the whatever else right. But that can leave us right in the religious practitioner zone and God says, is that what I'm looking for? The entire trajectory of the teaching of scripture and of the insights brought to the attention of Seventh-day Adventists is, I'm gonna say it again, for us to be practitioners of righteousness, which means loving the hurting, giving ourselves away in service. Let's continue, because this gets even better. Ah, verse I think we read this, 
Yes, verse eight. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Do you have an interest in the good news going to the world? Notice the way to get there. God says, when you do fasting, by the way, when you live a life of practicing righteousness, then your light breaks forth like the dawn. Then you're healed. Do we have some issues that we need personal healing, emotional healing, relational healing? Y'all are pretty quiet today, but I guess that's okay. We have issues, right? Isaiah 58, God says the solution, the, reason, the, the path to that is to spend your life in selfless service to others and then your light breaks forth. The whole community starts talking about you. The world begins to see the true picture of God and the, and the whole interest in sharing a message all of a sudden catches like fire in a dry wheat field. Remember at the beginning of the chapter, the question the Israelites were asking is, God, we've fasted, we've prayed, and you're not responding. God says, here, listen, here's when I'll respond. When you fast for the blessing and service of others, that's when I'll show up. Look, it comes in the next verse. Then you shall call, and the Lord will what? Say it out loud. You shall call, and the Lord will what? Remember at the beginning they said, God, we're calling, we're seeking you daily and you're not answering. Then he says, well, if you spend your life practicing righteousness, then you call, I'll answer. You cry and he'll say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry, satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. God is calling his people out for their practice of religion, but their neglect of righteousness, which is so well defined in Isaiah is caring for the suffering. When we have a heart like God's heart, what's that promise? You cry out and he'll say, here I am. You wanna see God show up in your family, in your life, in the Brunswick church? Let's try to align with the heart of God. Because to that cry, to those aligned with his heart, he shows up. It's interesting that when Jesus pointed to people that experienced God's favor, he mentioned people like the good Samaritan. He may not have been practicing religion like the Jews, but he was practicing righteousness. Or the widow that he points to in the Old Testament who helped out, forgive me, Elijah or Elisha, 
She was not necessarily practicing religion, but she was practicing righteousness. Let's continue. Ah, let's see. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. What a lush description of the people of God. And that luscious begins with a simple fast, the denial of self for the blessing of others. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repair of the breach, the restore of streets to dwell in. Israel found themselves in some really broken times. Like literally, city being broken down, gates being busted. And God said the path to a restored civilization is not great religious devotion, but a life of great righteous practice. When they reflected the heart of God toward the least and the lowest, they aligned themselves with God and would allow him to fully restore. In other words, what they thought was getting them there wasn't actually achieving what they thought it was because what God was looking for was people who love like he loves. You'll recognize this text if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath from doing your pleasure on my holy day. Now, what's their pleasure in the context of Isaiah 58? Seeking God, fasting, delighting to know his ways, praying for God's justice. That's their pleasure. Back at the early part of Isaiah 58. Doing their pleasure on God's holy day was practicing religion rather than practicing righteousness. They had confused the practice of religion with the practice of righteousness. So their pleasure was being religious on the Sabbath. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you will take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. In the context, violation of the Sabbath that Isaiah's calling out is Sabbath as practicing religion. What God was looking for is Sabbath in practicing righteousness. And then you'll take delight in the Lord. I'll make you ride on the heights of the earth. I'll feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the (laughs) mouth of the Lord has spoken it. I want to encourage you, invite you to go back and reflect on Isaiah 58. Again, in your own time. And I want you to also ask this question. If you were to look at the way you spend your time, would you be aligned more with the first part of Isaiah, religious practice, or with the second part of Isaiah, righteous practice. 
If we were to look at our budget, would it reflect the heart of God or a heart of self-interest? If we were to look at our church budget, would it reflect a church pursuing religious practice, first part of Isaiah 58, or would it reflect a church acting in compassion and self-giving for our community, for the hurting and the broken? If we were to aggregate all of the time we spend devoted to Brunswick Seventh Avenue Church, would that time land us more in the religious practice part of Isaiah 58 or the practice of righteousness part of Isaiah 58? We've got to really think about this because the sin God was calling out in his people was practicing religion as a substitute for practicing righteousness. The sin James was calling out was partiality, elevating the successful and the okay over the hurting and the suffering. The religious practice that James pointed to was not the practice of religion, but the care of the fatherless and the widow. The people that God said I'm standing up for back in Isaiah Exodus 22 were the ones mistreated and overlooked. As the Brunswick Seventh-day Adventist Church, the message is clear to us. God wants us to practice righteousness and that means loving and giving and serving the least and the lowest. Let me remind you, as I wrap up, of our mission. A slow, steady hum of deeds done to relieve suffering and meet needs. That's literally the kind of people God is trying to make us. And then this. We actively build our awareness of our neighbors, friends, and coworkers. This is the service piece. We actively build our awareness of our neighbors, friends, and coworkers. We notice where they hurt, have needs, or are in crisis, and we seek to help them. I'm with you in this. I find myself sitting under the confrontation of Isaiah 58, God's interest is building a culture of selfless giving. That's what he wants to make me. That's what he's aiming to make in you, to reproduce in us. That's the kind of life that creates the opportunity for God to show up in ways we have never seen him show up. And I want to see that happen. I want to learn to give my life away. I want to learn to love in the true religion sense, the pure religion sense of James. Listen, we're making some strides. You're making some strides. I know that it's not all a story of self-interest. I know that. And I know that at the same time, God is calling us to step further, to evaluate our practice, our use of finances, and ask ourselves, 
How are we aligning with the heart of God? Let's pray. God, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for this challenge to us. We need you to help us align with your heart that we might have a heart like yours. I have a long ways to go there and just ask for me personally that you would do your work in me. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you were blessed by today's message. For more content or to connect with us, visit us online at brunswickadventist.church.com.